Hello everybody and welcome to another one of our financial well-being podcasts. My name's David Lloyd. I'm well, here. The David Lloyd. The David Lloyd, as far as I'm concerned. There is only <laughs> one David Lloyd and that is me. Uh, that, that, that rude interruption was from my friend Chris Budd. Tell us about yourself, Chris. I'm very good. Thank you, David. Oh, you didn't ask me that, did you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> about myself. Well, I'm the founder of Ovation Finance, writer of the Financial Wellbeing book, a couple of novels all available on Amazon. I did have a tweet from somebody who saw that the Financial Wellbeing book was available second-hand on Amazon for only £1,000. <sighs> An absolute bargain. I, Snap it up, <laughs> listeners. I can only imagine it was that rare unsigned copy that managed to leak out. <laughs> That'll be the one. And also, we must not forget, as I have been oh, guilty of doing... We, in, could we not just gloss over him? No, 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 no. no. I think a very special mention, please. Producer Tomo is with us. Tomo, tell us something about yourself, please. No, normally, you're just a sort of a slightly distant, disengaged voice in the background. Well, you're a slightly distant, disengaged person. To be <laughs> so tell us, yes, Chris. Uh, fill in some gaps. Fill in some gaps. Tell us about yourself. Um, how long have I got? Well, as long about as you five like. Seconds. About we'll five edit seconds. out the boring. Bits. <laughs> oh, okay. So four seconds. Uh, financial planner at Ovation Finance and proud father of Toby and proud husband of Lindsay. There well, that's nice. That's a, what a proud person yeah. you are. I think you could add ex rugby player, ex cricketer. Yeah, ex not such a great cricketer, ex <laughs> okay rugby player, average at best. Uh, and it's the fact that you are now an ex sportsman got anything to do with the recent arrival of Toby? Yeah, that and and, and just it's cold at the moment. I'm not. Well, there's not a lot I, of cricket happening in England at the time. Yeah, let's face it. That's true. That's true. But, but also, you're, you're a Gloucester boy, aren't you? Yes, I am. So rugby's in the rugby's in the blood. So right, and cricket yeah. wouldn't be really. <laughs> Oh, oh, don't get that rivalry going. <laughs> right, but before we start coming to blows, um, what's on today's podcast, Chris? So today we're going to focus on one of the five basic principles that contribute towards financial well-being, which is financial shocks. Well, I've had plenty of financial shocks <laughs> in my time, usually around about the time that my bank statement arrives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we're going we're gonna to just go through some of the, the principles of how we can increase our well-being by coping with financial shocks and um, knowing we've got things covered. So a bit of a factual top tip type uh, podcast today. Excellent. Now, as you know, we often have as a feature in the podcast a, a foreign word that has something to do with well-being, making you feel good. But I believe uh, this week, Chris, you've got something a little bit different in the foreign word feature. For I us. have, yes. Um, not that I'm running short of words or anything, but uh, my colleague Ian Else, uh, who featured on some of our very early early podcasts, Top sent man. me Top man. <laughs> sent me some Japanese words, which um, are quite fun actually. We've got. Again, apologies for pronunciation, as I always say in this section. Agi Otori, the state of looking far worse following a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all been there. It's not great. There's a, there Japanese have a word for that. I know, I did. Uh, or my worst haircut, my worst haircut was in Cape Cod in America. And I went there and I'd gone, we were, go we were away for four weeks. We were doing a home swap holiday. So I went, my hair was actually quite long when I went. I hadn't quite got round to getting it cut. So two weeks in, it really, really needed cutting. And I thought we were in America, you know, the, the land of the snappy haircut. And I went into this barber shop in Hyannisport, which is on Cape Cod. And I, I said, very friendly guy. And I said, would you just cut my hair? He said, yeah, sure, sir. How, how do you want it done? And I said, well, it's just a little bit short, a little bit trimmed, short back and tight. Anyway, essentially, he gave me a pudding bowl. <laughs> He might as well have put a pudding bowl on my head wow. because he just had. It was just the worst haircut I've ever had. Have you got a photo that life. we can tweet of it? Uh, I will. I will dig one out. I will dig one out. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> shocking. So me, me and Lindsay have a word for for that, and it's. I'm not sure I should say this in the podcast. Um, Schlid. 
Um, the lid being the haircut and the SH being, I think you can all work out. style. Lovely, lovely. Any more, Chris? We do. We have one for Tomo. Boquetto. The act of staring blankly out into space devoid of any thoughts. Oh, cheers. <laughs> That's cruel. Oh, it's factually correct, but it's cruel. Yeah. Then we have Kui no Yokan. The feeling upon first meeting somebody that you will eventually fall in love. Oh, that's nice. Do you believe in love at first sight? Uh, totally, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do I. So do I. It's a good thing. <laughs> and then we have, uh, oh, crikey, Tsujigiri, the act of trying out a new sword on some random stranger. I think we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> absolutely right, yes. Could you just put your head on this block, please? I want to see how sharp this sword yeah, yeah. is. And then finally, um, I've, I've often claimed that I have the largest collection of unread business books in the UK, so I definitely can claim to have done this one. Sunduko, the act of buying a book and never getting around to reading it. Ah, and yes. given that the Financial Wellbeing book is the point of these podcasts, if anybody out there has bought the Financial Wellbeing book and not read it, you are guilty of Sondoko. I believe the Financial Wellbeing book is doing rather well. Didn't I see the other day that it's been translated into Vietnamese? <laughs> well, it has. It's, well, actually, three languages now. Dutch, uh, Vietnamese, and recently French as well. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. So we're going to have to start recording this podcast in Dutch, Vietnamese, and French versions. How's your Vietnamese, David? Uh, it's not bad, actually, because I've been to Vietnam, and, and therefore I speak very good <laughs> English Vietnamese, which is to speak very loudly in an English voice. <laughs> Can you not even say yes and no in Vietnamese? Uh, yeah, I probably could when I went there, but it was yeah, two years well. ago and I've forgotten now. <laughs> right, let's move on now to one of my very favourite features, which is our tight-ass Tomo. Um, uh, some time ago now, our producer Tomo took uh, Chris and a colleague, if it was Ian Els, who had previously been mentioned, out for lunch. He managed to persuade them to buy a particular dish that was on the menu, and it turned out that he had a voucher for that, and therefore he'd saved himself an awful lot of money. So since then, this is... It was very nice, though. It was good. It yes. was very nice. That's, you know, I'm giving him a hard time today, but it was very nice. Yeah, but no, that's good, but he saved a lot of money in the process. So this... The, the, the whole point about the Titus Tomo tips, it's a way of saving money, but hopefully actually doing something which is going to be of benefit for you. So if you've got any tips for us, remember the hashtag on Twitter is uh, hashtag Titus Tomo. So please get some suggestions sending in and we will um, introduce them into our podcast in a future episode. I've had a good one, um, another couple of good ones from Chris Dames. If you remember from previous podcasts, he sent us a whole load of great tips. Um, one of them he does himself, and I don't think we've quite worked out which one yet. Um, here's a couple more from him. Save money on travel by swapping homes with someone who wants to visit your location at the same time you want to visit theirs. What a short-term house swap would that yes. be? <laughs> How you find those people, I don't know. Maybe there's a website you could use. Well, interestingly, the, 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 when I had my rubbish haircut, that was, we did a house swap holiday. There you go. Yeah, so there you go. Good. So that's an old tip, Chris. Yeah. Need to try harder, mate. Um, and then his other tip is save hundreds of thousands of pounds simply by not having children. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> oh, it's too late now. <laughs> Somebody told me that a year ago. I did see. I seem to remember reading, and I, this may be incorrect, that it costs on average something like quarter of a million pounds to raise a child mm. from naught to eighteen. Best not to think about it. No, I don't I think. Know. Anyway, big thanks to Chris Daines for all of his tips. Really appreciated it. Yes, they've been very amusing. <laughs> I've got another good one, which this time comes from Amy Rowe, who is at Amy L Rowe. Who the suggestion of Richard Lander at Richard Lander is compiling a list of places around London that are inspiring and unusual places to work. 
I think free Wi-Fi is the criteria for this. <laughs> There's Take Britain, but she particularly recommends Fernandez and Wells at Somerset House. Buy one coffee, stay for hours in peace and quiet. Oh, it's nice that, isn't it, when you suddenly stumble across a little oasis. Yeah. A friend of mine in London used to be a member of a, a gentleman. Well, it was a gentleman's club. I think it was just a club, um, a small club, right in the middle of Soho. And I went to a couple, a couple of meetings there with him. And you just go in off the busy streets, and it's just very, very calm. And you sit there, you have a coffee. It was very, very nice. Very nice indeed. Um, so we've got another wedding tip as well from Belinda McCarthy at B underscore McCarthy photo. Get a fond auntie or a friend to make the wedding cake as a gift. They'll love to be asked and bask in the glory on the day. Great idea. Yeah, huh? I've been to a few weddings that have had that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My Great mum idea. actually made our wedding cake, um, and then she got she got somebody else to ice it because apparently she had a friend who specialised. And when we came to cut the cake. It was a little bit difficult to get through. The icing was just a little bit hard, and my mum was mortified. So we're trying to get this knife through, and my mum piped, and I'd said, oh, we're going to cut the cake, and my mum's made the cake. Everybody goes, oh, how nice is that? And then we go, ur, 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 and then she piped off from the back, I didn't do the icing. <laughs> <laughs> right, enough of this silliness. Let's get on to the main event. Clapping my hands and rubbing them in anticipation. <laughs> what is the tight-ass Tomo tip of the week? Well, this one is an actual thing that I've done recently, so this is going to make me look really tight. Um, uh, a few months back, I went to Twickenham to watch an international match. England were playing um, as the Autumn Internationals, and we were having a drink, um, a famous pub, uh, the Cabbage Patch Pub. We are all having a drink, a few lagers and a Guinness here and there, and it's all in those disposable cups. Well, not disposable, those refundable cups. You know, when you have to pay a pound yeah. and you get your, your pound back if you take it back to the till. Well, everyone was going off to the match and couldn't be bothered to go collect their pound. You didn't. I did. Yeah. How much <laughs> did you get? Ten pounds. Well, Ten fair cups. Enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I used it to buy two bags of biltong and had that as my uh, match snack. Five pounds for a bag of biltong. I couldn't believe it when he asked. It was too late. He'd already given me the bags. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Tight ass Tomo tip of the week. Go and, go and nick all the uh, refundable cups. Well, you Make sure they're empty, though. That's yeah. The yeah, so you, yeah, you won't remember this, Tomo, and you might not indeed, Chris, but certainly, <coughs> excuse me, when I was a kid, you'd get money back on bottles. So if you bought I a didn't. bottle of pop or something like that, you could take it back to the shop and you'd get threepence back, you'd get money back. And so what me and my friends used to do, we'd just go round hunting for bottles that people had left, and then we'd gather them all up and then take them back and get the money back. Yeah. Do you know... On um, Blue Planet recently, there's a scandalous amount of plastic in the mm. ocean. Oh, awful. So yeah. why don't they just double the price of plastic bottles but say you get half it back when you take it back to the shop? Or why don't they revert to glass bottles that you get money back on? But certainly, yeah, uh, I, yeah this whole... Oh, I'm going to get on to political stuff now, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> but no, I know this was a joke, but actually the idea of these disposable or refundable cups is a, is a great idea. I well, think. they came into because to stop uh, cup snakes in, in cricket, didn't they? They started charging extra. So Which that... is the one drawback, because they were great. <laughs> they were great. <laughs> right, Chris, on to the main event. Financial shocks, tell us what you mean. Well, you will remember when we first started this podcast back in oh, 30 years ago, it feels financial well-being can be broken down into five areas. Clear path to identifiable objectives, which is a, a plan, the control of daily finances, ability to cope with a financial shock, having financial options and clarity and security for those that we leave behind. So today we're going to focus on one of those five areas, the ability to cope with financial shocks. 
and we're going to break this down into three stages. So first of all, we're going to look at a bit of theory on why this area is so important to well-being. Then we're going to consider which shocks are important, both in generally, um, in general terms and personally to each of us. And then finally, Tomo's going to talk us through some practical ideas um, that we can actually go out and use. Well, this is important stuff. Have we not done this before? Unbelievably, no. We've been waffling about so many other interesting and fun things. Um, it's taken this long to get round to one of the five core parts of financial well-being. We haven't half been talking a right load of nonsense <laughs> for the last two years, and haven't we? It's taken us this long to get to this. But let's crack on with it. Interesting stuff. OK, so step one, some theory on why this area is so important to well-being. Um, the focus of this really should be on the word ability, because what we're aiming to do is increase our well-being in general. Now, of course, at the time of a financial shock happening, we, we want to reduce the impact of that shock. But our main aim here is to increase well-being permanently by dealing with the worry about something happening. OK, can you give us an example of that? Let's, let's, be, let's be a bit silly. Suppose you're eating a chocolate brownie, a really good something one. Something I do quite frequently. <laughs> <laughs> Play into your strengths, then. <laughs> um, perhaps a scoop of homemade vanilla ice cream on oh, top. Oh, yes, that sounds nice. Now, if you're sitting at a table in a nice restaurant at the time, you are well-placed to enjoy that brownie. You're going to be focused on it. Mm -hmm. If, however, you're walking along the edge of a very tall building while eating the brownie, you're less likely to focus on what you're tasting and you're unlikely to enjoy it. The scenario is exactly the same. You're not falling in either case, but the worry of falling is going to stop you from enjoying the brownie. So the possibility of something happening significantly affects our well-being. Well, certainly if I was walking along the edge of a tall building, there would be a brownie, but I wouldn't be eating it. <laughs> <laughs> What, uh, what, what if you don't like brownies? Do you know what well, I like about that, David? Uh, listeners can probably tell the moments on the podcast when Tomo and I pause and think, I wonder if Julie will allow that in. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like brownies, then the prospect of falling is clearly going to outweigh the dislike of the brownie. So, I see. So the conclusion is that if you don't like eating something, do it on a ledge. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should not to get our kids to eat broccoli and cabbage while we're dangling them over the edge of a cliff. <laughs> Maybe that's what Michael Jackson was trying all those years ago. <laughs> OK, getting back to the point, there is some good theory behind this notion that well-being is increased if we know that we have the ability to cope with financial shocks. Um, an old friend of the podcast, behavioural expert Neil Bage, um, and I had a chat about this, and he made the point that we are pretty rubbish at predicting events, especially bad events. We tend to overestimate our ability to do things, and therefore we don't believe that things will happen to us. Um, have you ever heard of black swan events, David? No, Chris, I haven't. So, a black swan event is something that um, you, in hindsight, was obvious felt unpredictable at the time, said could never happen, but afterwards seems obvious. It comes from, um, in the Middle Ages, this used to be a, a regular saying, a, a black swan event, because black swans were thought to not exist. Only white swans could possibly mm. exist. And then one day they discovered black swans existed. And they went, well, of course, you have different coloured birds of different varieties. Why shouldn't you have a black swan? It seemed obvious in hindsight. So it's an unpredictable event that takes us by surprise, but which we realised later was actually entirely predictable had we just looked at the data properly. Got any examples of that? Well, the dot-com uh, stock market crash in 2001 companies were being um, massive multiples of profit for their valuations, which were clearly not sustainable. Um, and yet people carried on investing in those companies and felt surprised when, it went, when, when companies went bust. Um, one might argue um, the Bitcoin 
uh, current bubble would be an interesting one as well. Um, whether that's crashed or not by the time this podcast comes out, I don't know. Oh, the, the Bitcoin. We did a podcast we about did. Bitcoin, and I was talking about it with my son the other day, and he said, apparently, here's an interesting fact for you, that the one of the very first owners of Bitcoin um, paid for two pizzas with his Bitcoins. And do you know what those Bitcoins would be worth now? Go on. $10 billion. <laughs> $10 billion. Yeah, that's that's um, if you can sell them. And uh, if now they're still worth that amount of money when this podcast comes out, because they could be worth, worth two pizzas again. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes, anyway, back to Black Swan events. Yeah, so the, the, the point of the Black Swan event is we tend to say, ah, but this time's going to be different, even when the data suggests it's not going to be. An example of it could be El Nino, um, the hurricane that hit America. And I, I can recall seeing people on the um, on the TV saying, I refuse to leave my home. You know, it, it, but hurricanes have hit before and, and I've been fine. So because hurricanes have hit before and I've been fine, you assume it's going to be fine again next time. And that's not always obviously going to be the case. So... We also have a mutual friend, David, who shall remain nameless, who absolutely hates insurance. Hates the idea of paying money for something and then that money is lost. Now, I'm quite happy to pay for insurance because it means that if the shock happens, I know I've got some backup. But he hates the idea because he doesn't think that those bad things are going to happen to him. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So, yes, I do. I mean, I, I pay out on I have quite a few insurances and I'm, on most of them I've never claimed. But I'm thinking, but I had pet insurance on a pet who needed on a dog who needed two operations in the space of two years that would have cost me £13,000 wow. had I not have had the insurance. Yeah, so yeah. so even that in itself has probably paid for all the other insurances that I have, even if I never claim on them. And it does bring you peace of mind. Exactly. And that's what we're after here. Know thyself. Uh, get yourself peace of mind by knowing that you can cope with your financial shocks. So if you are, I want for a better phrase, a worrier, then you're going to get considerable well-being from protection against financial shocks. Um, but if you're like our mutual friend and you don't think bad things are going to happen to you, well, try and look at your protection against financial shocks in a detached way. Try and take that emotion out of it um, and maybe think of others in your family. Yes, but I suppose the uh, the impact of a, I mean, the very word shock, the impact of a financial shock means that it, it will come as a surprise and therefore you need to be, in my view anyway, as prepared as you can possibly be. My daughter's just learning to drive um, and I'm the lucky chap that gets to sit with her <laughs> and I keep saying to her, what you've got to remember when you drive, it doesn't matter how well you drive. It's the other idiots you've got to worry about. Exactly right. So um, an accident... A rule that could be applied to life in general. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> an accident is something you didn't expect to happen, mm -hmm. by definition. Yeah. So to not believe in insurance or life insurance, etc., is it just seems to be a bit nonsensical. So there's good theory about how we can get well-being from uh, coping with financial shocks. Knowing that we're going to be able to will give good well-being. So let's go to step two and look at which shocks are important. Right, OK, so in order to cope with financial shocks, we should presumably firstly work out what financial shocks we might be facing. Exactly. Then we can put a weighting to each of them, which will be different to everybody, uh, depending on their circumstances and their preferences. Um, and then we'll get Tomo to tell us about what we can actually do about some of these things. So things that could negatively impact our financial position and therefore well-being. Death of a breadwinner. A prolonged illness. Investment losses. Uh, losing your job. Uh, presumably that could be by choice or not. So you could get sacked or you could actually 
decide I'm fed up with this, I want to do something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that obviously links into having financial options in life. Changes in legislation such as taxes, uh, an unexpected one-off cost such as a car breaking down or the sudden ending of a relationship when you've got to go and get your own flat, that kind of stuff. So someone with a death and service scheme at work might take that into account when setting up their life assurances. You know, it's important to check with your employer if you've got something. You know, someone with no financial dependence, you know, do they actually need any any life cover at all? So worth reviewing existing policies. And there are various other things to think about. Um, the financial shocks that people face are pretty much the same, but how they are currently set up to cope with them and what additional action they need to take will depend upon their personal circumstances. So let's go to step three then and let's look at some practical ideas from Tomo um, so that people can, who listen to this podcast can go away and actually do something. A lot of these um, tips are, will be in the Financial Wellbeing book as well and if you work through that book from start to finish you should be pretty well sorted in life. Okay, so I know it's normally my role to be the everyman to you two financial sages as you sit there spouting the great wisdom that you've accumulated over years of working in financial services. You are the literal embodiment of the great unwashed. I am indeed. I am, I am Baldrick, essentially, is who I am in these podcasts in terms of my financial knowledge. However, I'm going to do something I don't normally do on these podcasts, and I'm going to make a suggestion for how to increase our financial well-being. Is this wise, David? Absolutely. Listen up, Chris. <laughs> because it seems to me that several of these issues could be nailed if we had a little bit of money tucked away for a rainy day. Absolutely. A report from Barclays Bank back in 2014 showed that according to their surveys, employees reported greater well-being from having a bit of extra money set aside than they did from getting a pay rise. That's a fantastic report, and in fact, um, it's not very well known, but I actually invented the phrase financial well-being. Did you really? I did. Um, a lot of other people had already invented it, but I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but when I, in all seriousness, when I, when I came up with the, uh, the title for the book, I googled financial well-being, and this Barclays report was the only thing that came up. And it's a really interesting report about well-being in the workplace. Um, so if anybody wants to go online and have a look at that report, there's a really good kind of two-page summary of it, uh, and then you can look at the whole report. So I, I recommend having a read. Right, OK. Well, look, we, let's get some expertise on this. So you've raised the notion of an emergency fund, Tomo. How much should we have in it? Well, some rules of thumb are helpful here, I think. You know, we tend to say somewhere in the region of three to six months of you know, expenditure put away in cash, you know, for you know, short-term illnesses, um, the inability to work for that period of time. You might have lost your job, and that can happen quite commonly. So it's just having that buffer there that will cover cover off your expenses. It might also be there for the car breaking down or the boiler breaking, some of those common things that, crikey, you've got to find a couple of thousand pounds to fix. So it's very much looking at your finance, how much you need, and it, we've talked about it before, you know, budgeting, control of daily finances, knowing how much you, you would need on a monthly basis, and look to have around three to six months set aside we tend to say and what happens if the unthinkable happens you're faced with all these financial shocks you go great i've got my rainy day fund you dip into it you spend it and maybe the shock continues mm. what happens then well there are two key things to think about here i think the first one is let's talk about illness so you're unable to work due to illness you can get cover but use for example income protection where you pay a premium every month and it's on the promise that if you're ill, it's going to pay you a certain amount of income 
that's going to cover you until you're well enough to work again. Yes, I have that protection. As a self-employed person, I have exactly that yeah. protection. Uh, critical illness is another common one. So if you get a certain type of illness, cancer is quite common, you get a lump sum. So it just provides that buffer in, in what can be a difficult time. Tom, I'm going to offer a controversial opinion here. Oh, go on. Well, this is just a personal preference. I actually prefer income protection over critical illness. Because critical illness pays out in the event of one of a list of illnesses mm. happening. Mm. Whereas income protection says, if you don't work, and the doctor signs you off long term, we'll pay. Yeah. doesn't matter what for. So personally, I prefer income protection. No, I can see that argument. It's quite nice to have the knowledge that an income is going to drop into your account every month. Um, and I guess you're confronted by if it is a lump sum. What do you do with that then and all the... The, the nervousness around that, I guess. Well, it's almost worth me while me being ill then, because <laughs> I actually guarantee I get regular income. Because yeah. the nature of my right. employment, it tends to be feast or famine, so I get huge chunks of money and then perhaps none for a while. But then obviously that's then down to me to budget properly and make sure that I've got money put aside. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking of which, I gather you made some of these dreams come true recently. Is that right? I do it on a regular basis. <laughs> but when, when, uh, Darren Cook at Red Circle on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, he uh, sent me a, a little message to say that uh, one of his friend's um, sons is an actor on Doctors, for which you write many of the scripts, do you not? And there was um, a scene in which his son was kidnapped and they didn't have anybody booked, so his dad stepped in and made his actorial debut. Fantastic. <laughs> All because of you, isn't that wonderful? Glad to spread a little bit of happiness where we can. And it wasn't even an episode I wrote, but I'll take the, <laughs> I'll take the credit for it anyway. <laughs> So the other, um, the, the, the next level, let's get a bit more morbid and serious, yes. is life assurance. Yeah, so what would happen if you passed away? And I think I mentioned it earlier. If you've got, if no one's dependent on you, actually, what does it really matter? I mean, it's sad you're gone and people will mourn you, but if financially, not, let's financially just... <laughs> dependent on you, um, I'm sure you'll be missed. So if no one's financially dependent on you, what does it really matter if you leave nothing? I would argue it probably doesn't. If you do have financial dependence, however, uh, it might be a partner, it'd be children, what would happen to them if your income from your work wasn't coming in? And I would say there are some, again, some rules of thumb to look at. Repayment of debt would be a good one. So you've got a mortgage, it'd be a good, good idea to have some cover in place to clear that. Can I offer another controversial oh, opinion? Go on, Chris. She's been controversial. Yeah. I know. Um, if you don't have financial dependence, when you take out a mortgage, what's the point of the life cover? Because if you die, the bank can just take your house back. Oh, I agree, I think... The, I mean, the, banks will often insist thing, yeah. upon it, um, but I've never really quite seen the point. If you have financial dependence, it's essential. Yeah, agree. And, and that's why I'll go back to the point, if you don't have any financial no. dependence, what's the point? And uh, is there a bit of confusion over when they say, well, we insist you have cover? Yeah, is that... Actually, for whose benefit? Yeah, well, doubling up to it. Anyway, there we go. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cover off the debts. So they haven't got to worry about that. The mortgage is paid for. That is, a, I can imagine that would provide um, a lot of help to the finances. The other one is that short-term period. You know, when somebody's grieving, they really don't want to have to worry about money. So again, this the emergency funds comes back into play here. If you've got six months set aside that you don't need to worry about a thing and let somebody grieve your loss. Yeah, that, that's a very good position to be in. And the last one is the longer term needs. You know, we talked about if you're ill, how do you supplement the income? Um, so it could be that you get life cover that provides a, a lump sum to your family that will help to provide that gap in income. Um, there are also products out there where you can get 
cover that pays a certain amount of income each month for a certain amount of time. So, you know, say for example, you needed to fill a salary of two and a half thousand pounds a month. Well, you can get life cover that will do that for you. Really useful. Good really family useful. income benefit. It is, stuff. family income benefit, exactly. So actually a blend of these things, David, is generally the best thing, depending on your state of life and who your dependents are, a blend of these different things, and of course, dependent upon your budget, because they all cost, um, but get the right amount of cover for the right need. Yeah. Yes, and certainly I, as a self-employed person, as I've said, I have a lot of those covers myself, and there are times in a lean month when I look at the amount of money that goes out at the end of the month and I think, all that money's going and I, I, I'll never get the benefit of that. But then I think of my loved ones and I think, well, actually, they will if anything were to happen to me. Yeah. And it's and actually that is very comforting. And let's bring it back to well-being. That certainly adds to my well-being. It makes me feel that not only am I secure in case I become ill and therefore I've got some support, financial support, but also if the unthinkable happened and anything happened so, to me, that my loved ones are going to be okay. Exactly. Well. And that, that's the whole point is just knowing. It's that walking along the, the cliff that you know that if anything happens to you, it's going to be be okay but you know just to summarize if you're thinking about life insurance think of repayment of debt number one number two what are your short-term needs again i'll probably argue the emergency savings are good for that and number three replacing the income that's lost if you're no longer around fantastic well that's a really good summary well i hope that anybody listening isn't faced with a, an imminent financial shock but do you know what that's why the call shocks, we can never expect them. And so mm. just make sure that you're properly prepared. Um, One last final tip from me, David. Um, a lot of people, especially younger people, uh, we, we do uh, workplace wellbeing uh, workshops. And a lot of young people come along. And when we say six months of expenditure in a bank account or in a cash ISA, they look at us horrified because they've got nowhere near that and say, well, how on earth am I supposed to get to there? The answer is chip away at it. A little bit every month. Um, 10 quid, 20 quid, 50 quid if you can, into a cash ISA and just slowly build up that position, it will significantly increase your well-being knowing you're doing something about it. Yeah, I would argue if you've got one or two months, it's better than having no months cover. Definitely. You know, it, it's work the ideal. It. Work yeah. towards it. It's the aspiration, the ideal, but we appreciate that it's not necessarily that easy. Wide words from Chris and Tomo. Uh, we hope you found them useful. Um, so that's it for today. And we look forward to joining you again very soon for another one of our financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Here, have a dollar. In fact, no brother man here, have two. Two dollars means a snack for me, but it means a big deal to you.